at 23 years old, I uh, night out partying, drinking, and and doing drugs. I crashed my car. <laughs> and you know had a car accident it was kind of a wake up call for me and it was that moment where i said i surrender i just i give up and i'm going to stop trying to do this on my own and try it a different way welcome to the crucible project podcast the crucible project is a nonprofit organization committed to creating a world of men and women who live with integrity grace and courage helping them to fulfill their god-given purpose this podcast will discuss important and sometimes difficult topics while delivering practical life applications with men and women who are currently practicing this work we are igniting christ-like change in men and women through experiences of radical honesty and grace Hello and welcome to the Crucible Project podcast. My name is Tim Rush and I am your host today with John Owen. John Owen is one of my favorite leaders. Uh, John, introduce yourself, tell the audience what they what they need to know about you. Hi, Tim. Thanks. First and foremost, I'm married to my lovely wife, Michelle, of 22 years, just celebrated 22 years together um, a couple of Fridays ago. We have two amazing kids. Uh, actually, they're not really kids anymore, 17 and 15, Hannah and Luke. And we just, we enjoy spending time together as a family and traveling, creating meaningful experiences together. A little bit more just about me as a pastor and a leader. I'm the pastor of community and communications at the Brook Church in Tomball, uh, where I've been on staff for for 10 years, not in this role for 10 years, but on staff here for 10 years. And I'm my primary roles are communications and community groups. I'm a small groups pastor, and I love helping connect people to authentic community where they can walk out their faith um, with others. And then um, alongside the church, I am a retreat leader with the Crucible Project. Um, and uh, I've been a retreat leader with the Crucible since 2018. Been involved in that ministry uh, very passionately since 2009. And Tim, you're one of my favorite humans as well. So it's good to be on here with you. Thanks for that, John. John is also known as Johnny and Johnny O, and he is a legend among everybody that knows him. So I will take any compliment from Johnny O that I can get. If you would like to hear more about Johnny O and the impact Crucible specifically has had on his ministry, uh, you can go back to the podcast archives, go back to November 20th of 2023, and uh, there's an interview, another interview with Johnny O that uh, is really a blessing. It's fun to hear what this ministry does for ministry. This podcast particularly is about leadership, and it comes from my own insecurities and fears uh, that message that I I carry around inside of me that is constantly telling me, Tim, you need to be relegated. Well, it doesn't even call me Tim. It says, Timmy, you need to be relegated to the card table. Don't sit with the adults. Uh, so when I find myself in leadership, that voice is constantly saying, you don't deserve to be here. So I love getting to talk with the adults. 
And Johnny O is one of those adults who's just a fantastic leader. So that's, John, why I, I want to talk with you, because this is my educational journey. So Johnny O is just an incredible leader that, in my mind, I feel like anytime he walks in the room, he's one of those guys people look at and go, hey, the leader is here. So I'm fascinated by this, and I'm curious, was that your life story? Like, when did you know that you were a leader, or were, was there a choice that you made somewhere along the way uh, to step into this? So I think it's an amalgam of both. I was I was the firstborn son, firstborn child, and and son of parents who were told for several years by doctors that they wouldn't conceive children. I was dubbed the miracle child, the miracle baby, and so that with that came just kind of a layering of I'm special. There's something special, something that God has a purpose and a plan for me. And having grown up in a Southern Bible Belt, conservative Christian family, I mean, multi-generation Southern Bible Belt Christian family, like that was really emphasized, whether it was from my, my, my mom and dad or from my grandparents on both sides, aunts and uncles. They truly believed that I was special and, and a miracle, and they spoke that. And so there's power in words. There's power in people speaking that. And so I believe that there is great power in that having been spoken over me and into my life. So as a child growing up, although I did encounter, you know, normal childhood things, I was bullied. I was small. I was there were times when I felt inferior and I, you know, I did experience normal insecurities as a child. I also just had a deep rooted belief within me that there was that God had a purpose and a plan for me, and there was something great in store for me. And I believe that manifested in my life. So I think some of the qualities that serve me as a leader were born out of that. I have a confidence. I have a quiet confidence about me that I say that because that's been spoken to me, you know, as a leader, that's been affirmed in me. And I can point back to my childhood where that first showed up, that I just had a confidence. I just believed I was special. Because my mom and dad said it, and my, and my grandparents said it, and, and I believed them. And so I acted out of that confidence. I lived out of that confidence. And even when I would get beaten up or beaten down or bullied and, and feel insecure, I always had that encouragement that was deep within me, that truth that I believed. Man, how cool that you had people cheering you on and speaking good things to you. Yeah, it, it was awesome, especially as a young boy. It didn't last, though. It, you know, it, in, you know, during my teenage years, uh, adolescence, I think around 14, I started hanging around some of the some questionable crowds. Again, having grown up in that culturally conservative Southern Baptist religious culture, a lot of thou shalt not, a lot of legalistic emphasis on my life, I began to act out. I began to rebel against that. And and, and when that happened, mom and dad didn't know what to do with that. And you know, the grandparents didn't know what to do with that. And so I, I quickly morphed into a, a problem child. A lot of the encouraging, life-giving words that were spoken as a young boy morphed into questions of why and how, kind of shaming undertones. And so hopefully I didn't just derail the, the podcast there. <laughs> no, I, I am curious what happened. Like, what was the turning point that went from, to use your words, I think you said problem child, with the ones who had been cheering you on are now questioning what's happening here. So what 
What was the turning point that took you from problem to to stepping back into your goal as a leader? So the, the transition to problem child, I kind of summed it up already. It was just, you know, like Paul says in scripture, the law brings about death. Once we're told you can't have something or you're not to do something, that's the very thing that our flesh wants to do. And so having grown up in that culture, I, I rebelled against it and began making choices out of that rebellion. And I can just imagine now as a parent, you know, watching my own child go from this really good boy, you know, miracle child with a purpose, a God-given purpose to watch my child go from that to making bad choices and, and going down a, a sketchy path. I would begin to question my own parenting. You know, where have I gone wrong? And I'm sure my parents did that. But to answer your question, it took a while. You know, it was in my early to mid 20s, I guess I was about 23 when there was a part of me that was just tired of walking down that dark road. There was the incessant prayers of my parents and my mother in particular, you know, the the truth in scripture of train a child up in the way that he should go and he will never depart from it. You know, that was always there. I always knew that there was redemption for me. And the longer I went down that dark path, the more I felt the Holy Spirit pulling me, tugging at me relentlessly back into the light. At 23 years old, I uh, night out partying, drinking and, and doing drugs. I crashed my car. <laughs> And, you know, had a car accident and I won't go into detail about that, but it was kind of a, it was kind of a wake up call for me. And it was that moment where I said, I surrender. I just, I give up and I'm going to stop trying to do this on my own and try it a different way and hopefully a better way. And that began the journey. It's been a long journey, a long path back to where God has me today. I mean, I, I mean, I don't want to sound too churchy, you know, but it is it's just it is just the reckless love of God and the amazing grace of God. And that's all it is. Man, I, I feel uh, so much tenderness for your parents and for for your family that that watched that journey because you are the son every family wants like it. You today sitting here are the the man parents are proud of, so to speak, that life and truth into you and then watch you make bad choices. I I can't imagine that anxiety of will this turn around when you don't know the end of the story. Like it's just so hard, but it's beautiful to think about how their words spoken into you stayed with you and helped steer that course. So I wonder, because you've mentioned the power of the spoken word, what sounds like the blessings that you were receiving from your family at a young age and how that guided you, I wonder if that shows up in your leadership now. Would it would it be a good guess to say that that's something that you value offering to other men as you lead? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and as you ask that question, as you wonder whether or not that shows up in my leadership today, I felt conviction just now because I, I began to question, wow, am I doing that in my own family? Am I doing that in my own children? And I do. I, I know I am and I believe I am. But it, of course, I could do better and I can do it more. And so I feel a strong conviction to even just encourage my kids today and just to tell them how proud I am of them and, and that they're special and that God has a purpose and a plan for them. And I believe I show them that. But the power of the spoken word, I'm just reminded today that I need to speak it. In terms of it showing up in my leadership in other places, yes, I'm affirmed fairly regularly that I have the gift of encouragement, that I speak life 
into people. I recently led a crucible weekend and I had another apprentice leader under me on that weekend. And in the feedback session after the weekend, he spoke that to me. He goes, I feel like you have this hype man kind of energy. You know, you'd be a great hype man. (laughs) I do. I champion guys. Um, I, I like to think that I see things in men that they don't see in themselves. And I want to pull that out and show it to them. And so I'll hype it up. I'll encourage them. I'll affirm that in them and I'll, I'll speak it. And then I'll speak an example so that I can show it to them. Man, that's, I know that's a gift to the man in the moment, but it is also such a gift to me to see the man light up and believe, even if only for a moment that that is true about them. It is, uh, it's powerful. And that that is really fun. I don't think anybody would say of you that you're somebody who blows sunshine, that you're complimentary unnecessarily. Like that that's just not your persona, that you're not fake. You're you're not gonna BS anybody. You're a high warrior. I, I think when pastoral care and encouragement comes from a high warrior, it's even more endearing and special because you don't feel like, oh, this guy wants something from me. It's because he really sees value. Yeah, I would say I agree with that. I definitely believe that about myself. Before I was a pastor, I was a I am a designer by trade. I'm a graphic designer. And as a designer, I'm trained to be critical. I'm trained to be very detail oriented and to pick apart the details and to criticize them, to be very critical. Is this is this a good design? Is this a good layout? Is this a good color scheme? Is this working or is it not working? And so trained to critique and be critical. And I have that nature in me too. You know, I just ask my wife, <laughs> she'll, she'll attest that, that I can tend to focus on the negative and focus on the bad and be critical about things. So I've been accused of being more critical than being an encourager and an uplifter. So trust me, whenever I say something encouraging and point something out, it's definitely not blowing smoke or sunshine. Yeah, I'm telling the truth. So you've mentioned people speaking blessings, family, encouraging you along your journey. Uh, What about criticism? Have you received any criticism that shaped you as a leader? Yeah, absolutely. I come from a mostly blue collar family where the men generations back were farmers and field workers and then oil field workers, you know, as we got into the of the oil boom of the 60s and 70s. And so very strong work ethic in my family and both men and women. The women are just as hard workers as the men are in my family. And most of the women were homemakers. And we don't say that they were housewives or they didn't work. We say that they didn't work outside the home. Very hardworking women. And so there was kind of a layer of constant criticism around how hard we worked, how good of a job we did, whatever it was we were doing, you know. So growing up, you know, some of my jobs were cleaning the house, chores around the house, doing the dishes and, you know, washing the vehicles and mowing the yard and and then helping, you know, in the summers, I would be on the farm with my grandfather and helping out on the farm. And and so I was being taught how to do those jobs and I was being taught how to do them well with a high attention to detail and to not get sloppy or go too fast and make mistakes. And so Anytime I did get sloppy or go too fast or make mistakes, those things were pointed out to me. And I was given the opportunity to do them again. But with that opportunity, that second opportunity, I was encouraged to do it right the first time. But it wasn't, it didn't come across as very encouraging. One of the messages that it still rings in my head today as, as a 50 year old man is to not half ass something. 
you know, we don't do things half-ass. We do things right the first time. And so that criticism and those messages have served me as a leader, you know, and to do things well, to execute well, to work really hard, to set a good example. So they have served me and they've also they've also hindered me where I've I've seen that same spirit of criticism show up where I've spoken similar words to people who are working under me. I would say I'm a recovering workaholic that I have have had much of my identity wrapped up in my performance and in my work and what I do. It is also, you know, manifested in unhealthy ways there, but it, it certainly has served me in healthy ways too. I'm betting if you can look at that and see that it served you, then it must feel risky to offer yourself grace when that message comes online. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that I could name it as risky in the moment, but certainly, yes. I mean, I've, I've struggled to offer myself grace at the risk of giving myself a pass. I'm pretty hard on myself. So how do you find balance then when you're leading other people and you question, do I need to be critical or do I need to give grace? Because I'm betting there it's risky, too, to know how to push somebody or to know, no, this is time for grace to show up. Yeah, that is a difficult line to walk at times. And I'll tell you this. When in doubt, always go on the grace side. You know, always go with the blessing and the encouragement. It's as a leader, I can't go wrong when I'm blessing and encouraging and speaking life. Now, I can go wrong if I'm giving passes. I'm not, first of all, leading by example and holding myself accountable. And that's really where it starts is, am I walking the line? Am I leading by example? Am I putting my best foot forward? Am I doing everything that I should be doing as a leader? Am I setting them up for success? Whatever it is that I've asked them, led them into or asked them to do, you know, have I done it myself first? And how have I done it? What was my experience? How much grace was given to me? All of those things factor in. Also, very practical tools. I'm just, I'm a very practical guy. And so having come up through design school where I was trained to be critical, we did design critiques where we were given a format and we were taught to discuss what was working about a design, the successful components of a design, talk about the good stuff first, and then circle back with a, a constructive criticism or a better if. And that model helps. And that model is also, you know, of course, the same model that we use in, in our feedback loops and within Crucible is to praise first and admonish second. And then also the old adage of praise in public and admonish in private or criticize in private. Those are just very practical tools that have, have really served me in my leadership and in my own experiences as a leader, having walked through the things. It's like, I, I don't want to ask somebody to do something that I'm not willing to do as a leader or something that I haven't done first. And I, I love that phrase you used, when in doubt, go to grace. That just seems like that would be a wonderful go-to to start with. As you were talking, it made me think about the very first chapter of John when it talks about Jesus came in, in grace and in truth. And I feel like I've learned in the Crucible Project more than anywhere it's unpacked that those aren't two extremes of a pendulum. I grew up thinking you either offered grace or you offered truth. But Jesus was full of both of those. So that piece of being able to lead with grace, but not ignore data. This is just what's true right now. And helping people to move forward with that is just such a, such a blessing. 
I think something along the same subject in John 10, where Jesus talks about being the shepherd and the sheep know the sound of his voice. The shepherd knows his sheep and the sheep know the sound of the shepherd's voice. And that speaks to there's a relationship that exists between a leader and those who he or she leads. If that relationship is there and it's cultivated and there's trust and safety and love established, people are going to be a lot more willing to hear truth, even if it's hard truth, if they know that the person speaking it loves them and has their back, you know, and they really wants the best for them. I try to lead with that. I'm not going to go spouting feedback to men or women under my leadership who don't know me. I'm going to lead with a lot of love and grace and a lot of gentleness, and I'm going to work to establish a connection and a relationship and build trust and safety before I begin to speak any hard truth. I don't always get it right. I'm not trying to prop myself up over here. That's the example that I'm aiming for. That is so challenging, but it's so true. It's the investment that has to happen before you get down to the brass tacks of leading. Those moments that don't feel like leadership, but are just the investment into the people that you're guiding. Man, that's great. Well, thank you, John, for this conversation, man. This is really a blessing to me, and it gives me a lot to chew on. So so I really appreciate this. Uh, I want to go back and listen to it and take some notes on, okay, so these are things that I can do this week in my context. Man, I feel like there are some very specific, this can help me grow. So thank you, John, very much for your time and for for blessing the people who will be listening to this. Yeah, you're welcome. And I... I'm just grateful for the opportunity to sit down with you again and spend this time with you talking about real stuff. Yeah, this is real and it's good. And it's helpful to me as I continue my own growth journey, you know, just to be reminded of the truths and the things that I say. These are not just words. These are truths that I'm aiming to live by. Thank you very much. Thank you for that. So listener, if you would like to hear more about John's story, you can go back to the November 20th episode and hear about how the crucible has impacted him in ministry. And if some Something that you hear today strikes you and is something that you want to implement in your life, keep it in view. And when you hear others talk, remember, hey, they may be blessed to hear this conversation with John. So thank you for being with us today. And uh, I hope God really blesses your day. For more information about our weekends, please go to thecrucibleproject.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Rate and review wherever you are listening and subscribe on your preferred podcast platform. Also, don't forget to check out myjourneyto.com for your free two-week trial. That's myjourneyto.com. Thank you for listening.